Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good day, everybody. Today, what I'd like to talk to you all about is relationships. I've been thinking about what really makes for a quality relationship and, frankly, what ruins them. And what I've been coming to realize is that we really have one of two choices when we are in at least what we colloquially call relationships with one another. We either have relationship genuinely or we have rules. Now, I say that, and of course, immediately what people are going to think is that I am trying to characterize these things in a more moral sense, like relationship good, rules bad. No, I would say that rules as a replacement for relationship means dysfunctional relationship, and I'll get into that a little bit further, of course, but I do not say that rules are bad. Rules are very useful in a lot of areas. You need, of course, to have rules in a game. You need to have rules in video games, i.e. the programming. You need to have rules for quite a number of things in life. You need to have rules in business and the free market and economy and so on in order for things to function and to have boundaries and so on. Now, here's the thing, though. We do not have relationships with any of those things. You might be able to have a relationship with your teammates in baseball but you don't have a relationship with baseball. It is impossible. Now, I do think that it is quite possible to, in a sense, love, which is to say like very much, or to have a sort of bond with a thing or an idea. Um, It's not necessarily always healthy or the best choice. But you can't have a relationship with it because a relationship takes a separate free will You can have a degree of relationship with an animal, but the fact that we cannot have a uh, full-fledged relationship with an animal is partly defined by the fact that we have to put boundaries around them. We have to put them in cages. We have to keep them in our homes or at least in our neighborhoods. We have to, uh, in some cases with dogs, put invisible fences around so that they will get hurt if they try to escape or bark at people too much. The fact that we cannot fully relate with an animal is the reason why we have to implement things that limit them, limit their behavior. Now, one of the illustrations that comes almost immediately to mind when we're talking about human beings is the fact that uh, it's been said a number of times, at least in my hearing, that if you have children in a playground without any borders around them, they will tend to huddle in the middle. They still might be playing, but they'll be huddled in the middle, even though they have the rest of the playground to play in. But if you put boundaries around them, if you put a fence around them, they will play in the full space of the playground. Now, that could be used as a contradiction to what I'm building here, but as a matter of fact, I think it feeds it quite a bit more. What children need is security. What they desire is safety, not necessarily borders and boundaries. And it is that safety that allows them the mindset to play in the fullness of the space. 
And what I'm arguing here, or about to argue, is that putting rules onto children actually reduces their sense of security. So what do I mean by that? The first illustration that comes to mind about this difference between relationship and rules is the Old Testament. When God first came down on Mount Sinai and offered, not just offered, but presented himself to the Israelites, if I remember my scriptures correctly, his initial invite was to Israel as a whole. He wanted them all to come up, not just Moses and the rulers and Joshua. He wanted all Israel to come up. Now you might want to say, oh, 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 if you know the scriptures well enough, but first God also had them purify themselves and make sure that no one even so much as touched the mountain, not even an animal. Oh yes, that's absolutely correct. And guess who that also applied to? Moses and the rulers and Joshua. Nobody was allowed to touch until God invited them. What does that sound like? A king. If a king had you come in uninvited, or if you came into a king uninvited, such as in the case of the book of Esther, you could be killed right then and there. The king had not called for you. He did not want your time. Or you did not want him to, he didn't want you taking his time rather. You did that without invite, without being asked to. You could just be straight up killed right then and there. I think this illustration is somewhat similar. That is what God was talking about as well. Yes, he wanted to be close to the Israelites, but he also would not tolerate being disrespected. Anyways, when God initially called them, the Ten Commandments had not been issued. The rest of the law of Leviticus and Deuteronomy had not been spoken at all. And God invited all of the Israelites to come. And what did they do? They cowered in fear. Understandably, I suppose, because of the amount of power, the sound, the rumblings, the thunder, um, sorry, the earthquakes, or at least tremblings of an earthquake type that are recorded in scripture as having happened when God came down. Sure, very intimidating. They didn't want to come up. They didn't want to be close to something so powerful. And then after that happened, God then turns around and says, hey, it's a good thing they chose to do that or they would have been killed, essentially. But that's after the fact. Initially, God calls them up. They then refuse. Then God retrospectively says it's a good thing they didn't come up or they would have died. God at first offered relationship. And you look through the rest of Scripture, especially with the appearance of Jesus and we see that the common theme is that God wants to be close to us. Every illustration that God uses to um, analogize his relationship with the Israelites is between a husband and wife, him being the husband. He didn't just want to be friends, he wanted to be as intimate as lovers with the Israelite people. And the first time he gave that an honest shot, they shuddered and cowered and fled. So... What happened as a result of that? Well, Israel, Israel's unwillingness to come close to God, to be in relationship with him, resulted in rules, 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 rules. It resulted essentially in religion, yes? Not just the Ten Commandments. 
I think it's somewhere between like 300 and 600 laws, all told, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's an interesting, interesting question to ask whether or not those rules would have been implemented at all, even perhaps the Ten Commandments, had the Israelites just gone for relationship. Why? Because if they had gone for relationship, perhaps the law would have been written on their hearts, as the scripture also says about the New Testament, when Jesus had taken down the barrier between us and the Father. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus wants the law to be written on our hearts. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. Does that require knowledge of the commandments, knowledge of all the law? That's up for debate, I think. So what I'm getting at here is that if we have truly trusting, open, vulnerable, kind, loving relationship with one another, the requirement for rules doesn't even exist. Why? Because we're already doing all the stuff. But there's more to it than just that. We can't just feel this and get it right. We can't just have a great, a good human bond and get it right. Why? Because if we are not already living virtuously and morally in our own lives, we can't form those bonds in the first place. This is something I was praying this very morning. In order to have a quality relationship with another human being, whether it be friendship, romance, but particularly romance and intimacy, I can't do it. I know this in my gut. I can't do it right if I don't first have a right relationship with God, a right relationship with virtue, a right relationship with morality. In other words, I love God and I am following his commands. Out of subservience, out of just, I need to obey and so on and so forth. No, because I want to do it. If we already have a good bond with another human being, we want to please them. We don't have some sense of obligation. So why did God put the rules on the Israelites after they refused relationship? The way I see it, it is because that was all that was really left. They had already refused the best. So God didn't want to just abandon them. God didn't just want to reject them, though to be fair, he wanted to plenty of times both before and after that with all of their complaining. But he wasn't just going to abandon them entirely in the end. He considered it. Moses argued with him about it several times. For them to at least follow rules was sufficient, perhaps, for them to identify themselves through at least their rote actions as being the Lord's own, being his people, not necessarily his sons and daughters, not necessarily in actual living reality, his spouse, so to speak. When God analogized it, he did use the spouse, but he used unfaithful spouse. But they could at least identify themselves with God through a sense of loyalty, if you will. Not relationship, but something more like patriotism. 
That was about all that God was able to get out of them, so that was what he asked for. Did he want more? Oh yeah, he dang sure wanted more. How do we know this? Because he sent Christ. Because he sent his son to break down the barrier between us and him. So in like manner, if we, in relationship with one another, are already living consistently with virtue and with morality and love each other, we are able to form the bond and we are already able to live in such a way as to please one another. See, the rules, so to speak, that come into this kind of an environment are not forced down one another's throats. They're lived already in each individual's lives by their choice. And this is why it's necessary to already be living virtuously to make this work. And for, uh, beyond that, when it comes to individual preferences, perhaps past pains and trauma responses and that sort of a thing, if you're capable of doing this, you can simply talk about them and learn how to better serve each other, to improve on each other, to improve on yourself and to help the other person improve. And simply have conversations, have interactions. Continue to work with one another. And because you already desire to do what is right and what is loving and what is kind to the other person, you don't need to start putting each other in any kind of a box. So here's what I'm getting at. If you are capable of genuinely loving, appreciating, and working to be good to yourself and to the other person, then the need for rules doesn't even exist. If you can't do that, then you be, need to begin to control the situation. Pure relationship involves no control at all. It involves free-willed people choosing to love one another. Why would they do that? Because they already love, adore, and respect you. If you are living consistently with virtue and already desiring and working towards the good of the other person, they have all the motivation they need to appreciate you, to want to please you, and so on. If that is not there, then they are not going to want so much to please you. In fact, they're going to want more to expose the problems they see in you. And then they're going to start to displease you. So, you're already perhaps stuck in this situation, if it is a friendship that you at least want to keep up, perhaps for appearances, or a marriage that, of course, you want to keep up for the contract and for the society around you, that the witnesses at your wedding, and so on and so forth. You need to start putting rules on it, perhaps on yourself, perhaps on the other. We can't pass this border, we can't pass this barrier, we can't have this conversation, and so on and so forth. Why? Because you can't make it work just on the basis of living virtuously. Whether it be yourself or the other person, or probably both. You need the rules. You need to put borders and boundaries around the other person and yourself because the free will of the people involved cannot be trusted, at least so you think. 
And the same, by the way, is true with children. This goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you cannot work with children, teach them, talk with them, reason with them, teach them what virtue and morality is all about, and so on and so forth. If you cannot live consistently, consistency, sorry, consistently with integrity, following through on your word, and so on and so forth, then the children are not going to respect you. And if the children don't respect you, you still want them to obey you, so you start setting up rules. If they already are starting to lose trust in you, faith in you, respect for you, but you also cannot stand them quote-unquote disobeying you, then you have to start putting rules on them. And this, to me, is one of the greatest shows of weaknesses I see in society at large. Children, by definition, or not by definition, but by the fact of how they exist in the family unit, want more than any other person on the planet, perhaps other than a loyal, loving, and respecting or um, appreciating spouse. They want most to please you. They want with everything in them to please you. Why? Because you're the next thing to God. In fact, before they understand God, you are God to them. You're their provider. You're the source of their shelter, their comfort, their respect, their safety. They want with everything to please you. So why on earth would you need to put rules on them? Shouldn't you just share with them how they can please you. Now, if in order to please you, they have to do what they know in their heart of hearts is wrong, like stealing or saying mean things or lying, especially to people who should be trusted, if that's how they are to please you, oh, they'll do it, but they won't respect you. Because they know they know the inconsistency. If you are instructing them to lie to other people, but then when you when they lie to you, you get all up in arms and tell them they're being bad and they have to be punished and so on and so forth. Oh, they can see that contradiction. They might not be able to put it into language, but they can darn well feel it. The amount of ways that we can lose the sense of safety and respect from our children is legion. And one of the ways in which we lose that respect and honor and, and not their desire to please us, that is something they have to do. One of the other ways we can lose it is by putting rules on them. And why? Because the moment we start putting rules on children, Again, we are refusing to have relationship with them. And they want relationship with us. But how are we refusing to have relationship with them? Because we want the rules to do the work that we are supposed to be doing. We are trying to outsource 
our responsibilities. It is our responsibility to share our preferences, to live virtuously, to understand how to help other people live in such a way that they are good and they are pleasing to us. Our preferences do matter. And as I just said, children, perhaps more than anybody else on the face of the earth, want to please their own parents. So are you having regular conversations with them? Are you nurturing them? Are you actually raising them? Or are you putting them in a box and letting the box do the work? Which, by the way, doesn't work. We think that if we can put all these borders and boundaries around children and just expect them to obey them, to do it of their own volition, then that solves all the problems. No. If that worked, wouldn't it have worked with God when he gave laws to the Israelites, when he gave rules to the Israelites? If any frame of that kind of behavior would have ever worked throughout the, throughout the history of humanity, surely it would have worked when God was the lawgiver. Guess what? Spoiler alert, it didn't. The Israelites simply continued to mess up, continued to disobey, continued, in fact, to go for other gods, idols, peoples, etc., exactly as he had told them not to. It didn't work. Why on earth do we think it's going to work in our relationships when God himself couldn't get it to work? Rules, 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 rules for human beings. In my mind, it looks more like slavery and subservience than anything else. Now, I agree with the idea of being subservient to God. I do not agree with the idea of being subservient to another human being. Another human being in authority, like a king, sure, but we don't have a relationship with a king. We don't have relationships with politicians. We have relationships with each other, though. And if we put rules on one another, once again, we are outsourcing the responsibilities that we are supposed to be carrying out. All I have to do is put this box around my wife and I don't have to put in all this effort. I can just have her do the things that I want her to do because that's how she should please me. That's how she needs to do what she should do. And I don't really have to work that hard. Now, none of us are going to admit if that's the kind of, quote, relationships that we have, that that's what we're really doing. But I'm here to tell you that's what we're really doing. Again, I want to stress the fact that I am not saying that rules in and of themselves are bad. Rules are awesome when there's no relationship and there doesn't need to be any relationship. In some cases, there shouldn't be any relationship. Rules are a sign of weakness when the relationship should be the thing. Rules are a control mechanism. It turns the incentive structure on its head. 
Again, if we have a healthy relationship with another human being, they're already motivated to do what should be done to please us. And they're motivated to share with us what should be pleasing to what is pleasing to them. Why? Because there's mutual trust. And we can be vulnerable and we can be open. It does mean getting rid of the evil things that still cling to us in our lives. Because they will, by definition, ruin and corrupt our capacity to be good to one another. That's part of the process. But let me end on this note. Why is it that children are satisfied with structure, with gates, with borders, but rebel with rules? Safety and structure and borders are parallel to virtues and morality and good relationships. These things are one and the same. See, we think in modern day that rules and laws keep us safe. That is a misunderstanding. And I think a propaganda, by the way. The laws and the rules and so on are there when a relationship is impossible. We cannot have relationship with our government. We cannot have relationship with our politicians. And we rarely have relationship with our policemen. The rules and laws are there because the relationship isn't. Now think back to how it must have been with humanity. If you believe in evolution, if you're an atheist, this is even easier for you to grasp. A little harder for a Christian. Before we had all this structure, before we had laws, before we had all these rules, before we had all these ideas of decorum and culture and so on, I'm not, and I'm not saying none whatsoever, but not like the modern day. How did human beings have their safety, have their security, have their trust? Well, because they had bonds with other people, because they had relationship with their community, because they could lean on one another. The safest people were the people who had saved, uh, had good relationship bonds with the people of their community. That is still, by the way, the way it is in rural societies, rural neighborhoods, or whatever the case may be. If you're kind of out in the Thule's, you can't rely on the authorities, on fire departments and the like, to come and help you. You go to your neighbors. You need relationships with human beings when all the structure of government and culture isn't everywhere around you all the time. So what I'm getting at is that human beings throughout history have always had as the bedrock of our structure of safety and security each other. Government and culture and so on is merely a shadow cast by that same core structure. It's a copy in the minor key of the core of human safety structure. It has always been this way. If you needed strong men with swords or guns or whatever the case may be 
to keep you safe. The foundational structure of that is not policemen. It's not the FBI. It's nothing like that. It's your neighbors. In America, this is more viscerally accurate if we go back to the Wild West. You needed good relationships with people. So, if you have begun to put rules around your children, viscerally, they know their safety structure has just been torn apart. At least a little bit. Why? Because they can't rely on you to have a strong relationship with them to know, for example, when they're sad, when they're scared, when they're compromised. If you have a good bond with them, it doesn't take five seconds for you to know when there's a problem because you have an emotional bond with them. You can sense it. You can feel it in the room. If you don't really care what's going on with your children, they're unsafe. The rules do nothing. In fact, they make this reality all the more poignant. They expect you to follow the rules, which are so moral, because I understand moral, morality so perfectly. And the moment you get them wrong, oh, sure, you'll punish them. But what else do you do? Now, some parents might at least have some form of conversation. That's great, and so on. But that's expecting the rules to do the work. One of the reasons why they might be getting, quote, the rules wrong right now is because they are feeling unsafe, because they are getting into scuffles perhaps at school or whatever it may be, which only makes the lack of safety the more poignant, and then you punish them. The connection, the bond itself, is the thing being threatened on both ends of that encounter. First, because the kid was hurt. Secondly, because the parent didn't see what was really going on. Third, because the parent punished them for not following, quote, the rules. This sort of thing happens more often than you would think. Now, the child still wants to please you because you are their source of sustained life in and of itself. They need, again, the relationship with you to remain at least in some sense safe. But do they respect you? Do they want to please you? Again, except in the sense of, yes, it's necessary to please you to keep their safety. Not really. They begin to rebel. I don't feel like I'm making this case as well as I could, and I'm going to take more time to think about it. But I wanted at least to make this first attempt. If you have relationship, you don't need rules. If you have rules where there should be relationship, it's dysfunctional. The motivation to love one another, if relationship is the thing, should already be built into the structure. It's very clearly what God has always been after, in my opinion. If that is what God has been after, and therefore that is the core structure, how could we possibly think it's any different with us? Rules are only there to substitute for the relationship that's missing.
If the relation, if relationship is not even supposed to be there, of course rules are fine. Rules are even necessary and helpful, but they should not apply to relationships. We should not have to control each other. We should not have to play God with each other. When we do it, we do badly. So that's all I had to talk about today. Hope that gives you a lot of good things to think about. Until next time.